Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Everything is Black and White podcast. I'm your stand-in temporary host, Mark Douglas, while Andrew Musgrove is away for a few days and I'm joined by uh, our chief sports writer, Lee Ryder, after, um, well, I think the best we can say about the weekend probably, Lee, is that Newcastle didn't lose. Yeah, you look at the, you know, the, the last few games and it was probably a bonus that, you know, they avoided yet another miserable defeat, but uh, this was probably like a miserable draw, yeah. if you like. Uh, you know, the, there, there are positives, obviously getting a point, climbing off the bottom of the table, getting a clean sheet. So in terms of little steps forward, uh, you can certainly put it in that category, but it was an awful game. Yeah, It was an absolutely terrible match to watch. The, the, the lack of quality on show on, on Saturday, I suppose in some ways it's, it's a massive negative because Newcastle don't seem to have that quality. But the fact that Southampton, who are only a few points ahead in Newcastle, aren't that good either. And there's, probably the division isn't isn't that strong, is it? It's not like there's a load of teams that are going to blow Newcastle away. Hmm. Well, the top and bottom of it is, and let's be totally honest, Newcastle only got a point because Southampton couldn't finish. Hmm. I think if you look back at the highlights, I think Nathan Redmond's face says it all when Shane Long missed that chance. I mean, when Shane Long come on, he's got such a good record against Newcastle, you thought... This is going to be it anyway, but that was a really good chance. And Redmond's face just sort of sums it up because he's like almost laughing in disbelief that that he missed. And thankfully for Newcastle, it it went wide. Uh, but there were numerous other opportunities uh, for the Saints that they didn't take. And Newcastle were, you know, as well as much as it's a positive now that all the dust settled, uh, they were very lucky to to get out of there without another defeat. Do you think Rafa went for, went for the point because? I think there's been a bit of, I think the one element of criticism that's maybe coming from, from Rafa from outside is that, is he playing a little bit with the handbrake on? And Newcastle, you know, we we know they haven't got much quality, but is he exacerbating the problem by setting them up really defensively? You know, is it is it that he's maybe playing conservatively, went there for a point? Mm. Well, he definitely, you know, was set up in a cautious manner. Uh, Newcastle, didn't have too many chances himself. Uh, but, you know, Southampton had a couple of good chances in the first, you know, the opening exchanges of the game. So they were under the cosh pretty much straight away. Um, you know, going forward, there wasn't much to, to write home about. Okay, I mean, Kennedy, if I mean, you, you, I'll ask you the question, you know, who is the person who's going to get Newcastle by the scruff of the neck and and drag them out of the mess that they're in? There, there is nobody. Is the defense <clears throat> defensively? You've got your Jamal Lascelles who yeah. they're fine say, defensively. Exactly, yeah. that's the point, isn't it? I think midfield wise, I, I don't think there's anybody there capable of changing things up. Kennedy was the one man last season, but I, I just don't think he's been. He was poor on Saturday. He's yeah. just not been the same player away from home. It feels to me a little bit like when Newcastle were good last season. It was when Kennedy was maybe given a bit of that free reign. Yeah. But I just don't think, I think at the moment Rafa's really struggling to trust this team. I don't think he, he trusts that they can, 
they can defend well and attack well. I mean, they did it against Manchester United, but then, you know, he's all, he'll almost turn around. You know what Rafa's like? He'll almost turn around and say, well, yeah, I did send them out to, to get something from Manchester United, but we, we lost the game. Yeah, yeah. And that was what he was like at the end, at the middle of last season when they started losing those games was he was sort of saying, look, against Bournemouth, I think it was, wasn't it? When they lost 1-0 with that corner yeah. and scored at the end. He basically said, well, we were too gung-ho in those games. If we'd have set up shop and, and gone for a point, we would have been we would have been a point better off. And I think that's what that's where his mindset is at the moment. Just get us, just drag us through those games. And I think he's basically he's almost given up on Newcastle as an attacking force away from home at the moment because he just doesn't he just doesn't trust them. I, I couldn't name you one player at the moment for Newcastle who's gonna create something. Yeah. That's that's the biggest worry for me. I, I don't see where the creator is. Well, this is it, and I mean teams in the past and I'm not talking about the great teams here I'm talking about the teams that that had some good players some great players as well uh, but when they were struggling there was always a man you know you could go to and, and get a result you know someone like Keith Gillespie someone like Nobby Solano would always be able to turn a game and you know go out and, and, and get an assist and you know provide someone like Alan Shearer with the chance to win the game well, the minute Newcastle, they haven't got a Gillespie, they haven't got a Solano, and they certainly haven't got an Alan Shearer. So you just wonder where the goals are going to come from. Um, you know, Rondon, yes, he's back. He's back on the pitch, but he looked very, you know, he looked very far away from full fitness at the weekend. Then you've got like Hosselu's the other option in attack. Perez is having an absolutely yeah, nightmare season. Yeah. Um, and then after that, you you really. You're really struggling for options. This is the this is the I think one of the things that people haven't really talked about too much yet this season. That you've got your Perez, you've got Perez, you've got the army, maybe Richie as well, who at the the second half of last season were, and I think this is where Mike Ashley and some of the hierarchy at Newcastle United have got have got it wrong. Is that they they thought the performances that the army Perez and maybe I mean Richie's probably slightly different, but definitely Perez the army. They thought that was their level. But they were playing so far above their level. I mean, the army. Let's be honest; he's probably reverted back to his true level. He's playing slightly better than he did first half of last season. But what he was doing after Christmas last season, you know, that's not Mo the army's yeah. level. If it was, he wouldn't be at Newcastle United, yeah. <laughs> the top and bottom of it, because he's got everything in his locker physically. Mm-hmm. But he's just not. I just don't think he's that level. And when they and when the, those players can't get to those levels. Newcastle are in big trouble, big yeah. trouble. Yeah. Well, the central midfield is a, it's an interesting area to to talk about because you've got John Joe Shelby, who's you know saying that he's th- given up on England and doesn't. But at the minute, he's not even Newcastle's yeah. best player. Never mind England. Yeah, he's not even Newcastle's best player at the minute. The army, as you say, yeah, he can get his foot on the ball. He can he can do the the, the basic things. Sometimes I feel a bit sorry for him because. I think he's probably got a bit more of a... There's a more of an attacking player in there when he's got the licence to go forward. At the minute, he hasn't got that licence. Um, but, you know, I watched both games over the weekend. I watched the under-23s on Friday night at St. James Park and obviously watched the first team. And out of both of those games, both those 90 minutes, the only player that I could see on on the pitch on both occasions, well, not on both occasions, on, on Friday night, the only player that could pass the ball properly was Sean Longstaff. Yeah, and... And they've got they've got a striker in the under twenty threes as well. He's scoring a few goals, but you didn't see too much from. No, he was uh, disappointing on Friday night. Um, basically, I spoke to Ben Dawson after the game, and he said, you know, we did warn him that there would be more attention on him ahead of that game, um, and 
to be fair, he was he was a fantastic Middlesbrough team, uh, led by Paul Stevenson, ex yes. Newcastle winger. Um, but look, Sorensen, he's, he's just not ready. Uh, you know, uh, there was a big clamour for him last week yeah. to, to play. He's not ready. Uh, that Friday night was evidence that he's not. Uh, didn't have a good game. Lost his rag when he was getting tightly marked. Um, and there was a few little examples of why. Uh, sadly, he's just not there yet. He's got a great future ahead of him, but now isn't the time to throw him in. But, you know, going back to Sean Longstaff, for me, I think he's got to be on the bench at least on yeah. for, for the Watford why game. Is, why is he not Why is he not being involved? Because, you know, he played against Forrest and, I mean, it was a terrible performance that day, but he didn't do, he didn't do too badly that day. I thought he was one of the better players of a, in a terrible performance. But Newcastle, it's not like... the players they've got at the moment are performing it's not like they're, they're necessarily producing anything well it, it's interesting because had Rondon equalised in the last minute of that game and had Newcastle held on to that draw and won on penalties um, I think Longstaff's performance that night would have been talked about a lot more instead it got overshadowed by the fact they got you know knocked out the cup by Nottingham Forest um, so you know he hasn't had a, another chance since then he's done very well in the Checker Trade Trophy um, both games he's been head and shoulders above the rest. I think the Aston Villa game in the reserves last week scored from 35 yards mm. and didn't even celebrate it. He just walked back to the centre mm. circle. And that's not him being arrogant. That's him saying, look, I've done this level now. I was at Blackpool last yeah. season, played every game almost there, scored 10 goals at the third flight level. You know, I've been told to come back here, had a move to Portsmouth blocked. Um and now he's kind of languishing in the reserves. He's got, if he wanted to, he's got every right to knock on the manager's door and say, uh, "I should be, I should be part of this." Mm. Because at the end of the day, Newcastle they're struggling for an offensive spark from midfield, and they're struggling for a player who can properly pass the ball. I know John Joe Shelby can yeah. can do it week in week out, but where's the killer pass at the minute? Mm. It's not there. So I'm not saying drop Shelby. Either. I'm saying there's. He need, there needs to be some way of getting Longstaff either in the team or when things aren't going well, and this is probably the more realistic option, when things aren't going well, change it, yeah. give him a chance. I think that's 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 one of the issues at Newcastle at the moment. There's nothing on the bench. There's absolutely nothing on the bench. I can't, you know, you, you talk about Saturday, where was the change going to come from? Okay, Rondon coming on, but he'll he'll eventually, you'll you, you think he'll be starting. So it leaves you with Jocelyn potentially, you know, I can't imagine there'd be too many clubs in the Premier League that would be looking at a centre-forward. I mean, they've got a lone striker, they've got a £9.5 million striker, they've got a £5 million striker. I mean, there'd be teams in the Premier League with one striker. I mean, probably middle-ranking you know, middle ranking teams, probably even teams at the bottom. Well, we know Fulham you know, have, have one striker. And I think that's the... You know, I, for me, it just it, it's just... I don't understand how we're at this... how we've got to this situation, how... You know, all the warnings that there were in the summer. And I remember you writing pieces and, and me putting them out and, and people commenting afterwards saying, well, we've heard this all before, negativity, negativity. It's like, but it wasn't about negativity. It was about saying, look, here's the serious situation that Newcastle United are in, a real, real worry. Don't, don't ignore it. Don't let this kind of chance to strengthen the team pass you by. But that's what Newcastle did. And that's where we are now. And I, you know, you just have to worry. I, I, I mean, do you think they're going... I mean, I feel at the moment, I've, I, I felt two weeks ago after before the Brighton game, you know, they'll they'll win one of these two matches and they'll it'll be a spark this season. But I'm starting to worry now that this season is going one way and it's... They might... 
and now the, the objective is to stay in touch with safety to get through to January, hopefully refresh the team. But my worry is that Newcastle takes such a long time to do deals that it could be by the end of January that they actually do they do something and then they might be out, cut adrift. I mean, maybe I'm being a bit negative there, I don't know. Well, you look at it, I mean, the goal difference at least is, isn't is looking bad if you're clutching at straws. Um, but really, they, they need to start winning. If you look at the, the stats, the six teams in the Premier League who've gone the first 10 games without a victory and all of them have, have been relegated. I'm just doing just started doing a piece there through in the office looking at the last three relegations and uh, you know what they had after this stage and I think all three of the seasons they were in a better state than they are now yeah. but these problems are deep rooted you can go back to you can go back to the first few weeks of May um, I think I came back after after the summer holiday and you know it was like okay Rafa going to sign this contract then and I was like we checked it out I was like no he's not he's not going anywhere but he's not signing it mm. Uh that's fell through. Um, then it was there's no there's not as much money available because he won't commit. That was the the club's kind of argument, um, and then basically they spluttered through to you know towards the end of preseason we were over in uh, Braga. I mean anyone who'd been in that stadium that night, you know, would know there was there was problems. Mm. It, was, it was scorching hot. <laughs> that wasn't the problem really, but it was <laughs> basically it made it more an intense atmosphere yeah. basically. Uh, and then Rafa just went on that big rant, didn't he, in the in the in the press room, in the, in the bowels of the stadium uh, in Braga. And then you know, since then, you know they they did get like Muto and Rond. Eventually, it took him to have that rant to get Muto and Rond on done. If not, they might not sign him, and they could be in an even more desperate position. But no, it's um, it's not good at all to to write positives. You know, you get. You get people, don't you, saying, "Oh, you're being negative and that," but it's, you know, when a team hasn't won in ten games, yeah. can't score. It's six months of negativity as well. It's not yeah. like you said, May. You're talking about the end of May, start of June, really, when we when it became clear what was going on, when the West Ham stuff, uh, Rafa to West Ham um, stuff broke, and you thought, "Okay, this is a wake up call for Newcastle. You could lose your manager here." And their response was, "Well, we've got him in a tight contract. We know he's not going anywhere." And it was like. You just thought mm, that's to me says we're in a we're in a bit of a we're in a bit of a situation here where Rafa is just going to have to sit and take his medicine this summer, and you just thought it's so hard to replicate what they did last season again because it was such an effort from everybody, players, fans, manager, uh, even even us. You know, we we kind of I think you, you end every season as a journalist at Newcastle United. I think sometimes needing needing a bit of a break, but you, but you just felt like we. We were aching to write something positive because it had been a positive end to the season, but there's been nothing positive to write about the last six months. It has mm. been mm. nothing positive, and uh, and that's what we're kind of all swimming against a little bit. And you just hope that one win. I think if they'd have won, held on at Manchester United, we'd have been talking about a very different picture at Newcastle United. But you know they did really well. They they were playing above themselves to get to two 0 against the Manchester United team that were. Yeah, uh, totally at sea, you know. And on another day, Manchester United wouldn't have conceded those two goals. So, yeah. uh, changing gear, Lee, um, a big, big story that you wrote on uh, Sunday that I think uh, there's been a lot of interest in was this idea that we might have some positivity in that Rafa might be offered sort of amended terms on this contract, and it might be a way to to break some of the um, 
the kind of congestion in this contract offer, which obviously will then open the door to maybe some some fresh um, recruitment in in January. I mean, what can you just expand a little bit more on on that story and and kind of the basis of it and and why it was sort of timed when it was? Well, what Newcastle are desperate to do is is, is actually have some kind of of you know happy ending to this this long standing mm. contract dispute. Uh, it's very difficult to to get anybody at Newcastle to say something publicly, but what, you know what we understand what's going on behind the scenes is that they are kind of trying to work through the problems, um, look at the, looking at the demands that that or requests, whatever you want to call it, that Rafa has, and that they're basically trying to say, you know, yes, we can facilitate some things. Other things you might have to wait a little bit. Maybe you know if it's a five, if it was to be a five-year deal, you know improvements to the training ground, yeah, can be done, but over five years. Mm. Improvements to the academy, yes, it can be done, but maybe over two or three years. You know the money that you need for a, a striker or the money you need for players in January. Maybe we can get some of that over immediately. So from their point of view, I think they are trying to to get something you know on the table, but whether they can. Rafa have a, a very good idea what he wants um, and what he believes is going to give him the best chance of success. He was obviously he's been proved right from last summer when he said I need this, this, and this, and he got that and something else and a third or fourth choice thing or whatever, um, and the bottom of the table with three points. So he's obviously been proved right. Um, you know, then then you've got people. Or some people saying, "Oh, this is a, this is a coincidence with the protests and all that." Well, why is it being timed now? Well, at the end of the day, Newcastle at the minute, the rock bottom of the table, they have to make some kind of response and get the the right message out um, to the both the fans, the players, all the staff at the club. Mm. Otherwise, they they're going to end up being relegated. Yeah, I think it's a difficult one for us, isn't it? It's a difficult one for for everybody because I think we're all desperate for some. Some good news, and I think I totally understand that, that where we are, where we stand at the moment for a big group of fans, it is the case that Ashley we need Ashley out now. It needs to it needs to happen. But is the for me is there something to be said for if the club at least learn a few of the mistakes in the meantime between now and and look? I mean, he's put the club up for sale. We, we, people can doubt whether he's sincere about that sale or not, but that's what we all kind of want. I think even he would like a change in ownership somewhere along the line. I think the problem is going to come if when positive things do happen at Newcastle, and look, there haven't been any, so we're talking about potential positives. If Newcastle try and do things in the right way in the meantime, how do we re- how do we respond to that? I mean, we've got to report it and we will, and we will report it. And I think that's going to be the problem, isn't it? That I think, I think Newcastle will try and do something in between now and the time of the boycott, which is on December the 9th, to change the agenda. I do think that I do think they will try and do something. I think they'll they'll try and get a message out there to um, say, look, we are trying, we are trying, we are trying to do things because they believe, and this is both, you know, I think I think you you've written about it quite a bit that that the reason that Mike Ashley being back at the club is a um, is a positive. That's yeah. they 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 are under the impression that it's a positive that it that it does uh, that it makes a difference. It's it's gonna bring things to a head it's going to improve things at Newcastle so it wouldn't surprise me if if we do see some announcements from Newcastle or some some attempt to maybe try and change the agenda a little bit and it's going to be difficult if every time that that happens or every time something positive happens or maybe they try and do something positive it's seen as you know something we can't report on because it would be 
diluting the message from from the magpie group which we'll get onto later because i want to i want to talk to you about that but that, that would be my kind of take on it and i think you know as the as a newcastle united editor or, or whatever my job title is now um the you know it's going to be difficult to get the balance right i think in some ways but we've just got to report stuff that we know is correct and that story was correct yeah well that's exact that is exactly what is happening at the club at the minute so unfortunately there's a big difference between writing something that you want to happen mm. and and writing what is happening because mm. generally at a club like newcastle where so much goes wrong uh you know it, it's ridiculous because you, you know, you do get the odd the odd critic on Twitter saying, "Ah, oh, you just make stuff up." It's like, well, to be fair, if you were going to make something yeah. up, I'd be making up something a lot happier than yeah. than some of the stuff that we, you know, end up having to to put out there. So, look, it's um, it's always difficult when the team's struggling. It's, yeah, and there's a lot of cynicism out there, isn't there? There's a lot. There's a lot of cynicism out there, and, and to be honest, totally justified. And I understand why people feel um, that they can't trust the word that comes out of the football club because they feel like they've been lied to in the past but you know from our perspective we're reporting on things that um you know we we take a little bit that we 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 double check things we triple check things and uh it's difficult at the moment because until it actually happens it's very difficult for us to say it's a bit like you know when we write about transfers and budgets and things I, i remember in the summer when um we wrote that i think it was your piece wrote that the budget was going to be limited there were quite a lot of people saying, "Well, that can't possibly be the case because they've got all this money." And then it turned out that it, it was it was the case. But an unhappy story. You'd rather be writing a positive story saying they're going to break the transfer record. But it's one of those things, isn't it? So I suppose we move on to uh, Watford. And yeah. if there's one team you probably wouldn't want to play at the moment, I mean, outside the top six, it would be Watford or Bournemouth. Who are the next team after that? Well, I suppose fans of of my age and, and probably your age as well all, all remember the great Graham Taylor side at Watford um, you know they nearly won the title they were challenging a, an unbelievable uh, Liverpool side back then uh, well the team we're playing on Saturday have actually got a better record than that Watford team because uh, really? they've got two points more than the team in the early 80s who made a great start so that is a little bit worrying uh, they had no problem um, seeing off Huddersfield the weekend mm. uh, Newcastle lost them towards the end of last season as well didn't they uh, in a not as a, it wasn't an important game it was an end of season sort of dead rubber this one's far from it Newcastle need the points you know you just if Newcastle lose this one you just wonder what, what actually the atmosphere will be like at the end of the game uh, you know it's it's one where they have to have a go. They have. To, they, they had a go against Brighton. Let's get the facts right. They, they had a go against Man United. They had a go against Brighton. Mm. They, not so much on Saturday, but they got a point. Um, Saturday, they've they've got to really go for the throw to Watford. Mm. There's no doubt about it. The one thing about Watford that that I find quite interesting, and Bournemouth as well, is that you know they came up the year the year McLaren. So they they were that was their first season in the Premier League. How have they in three years in the Premier League managed to not only establish themselves but now in two successive seasons outperform Newcastle? And that I mean, obviously last season Newcastle finished tenth, so not maybe not outperform, but you know they've been in the Premier League for three years, which Newcastle haven't. Same with Bournemouth. They they came up the year that they the, these two teams both came up in 2014, 2015 and are both now so much 
more advanced than Newcastle United. Well, look, I wrote a piece two years ago um, and somebody at the at Newcastle United wasn't happy with what I wrote and I was told, oh, you, you, were a bit, you were a bit out of order with that one. I was like, mm. so I, I'll, talk, I'll talk to you about the piece it was. Newcastle lost to Watford in the Premier League in January 2016. They also got knocked out of the FA Cup. It was the game where Torvin uh, was getting a lot of criticism. Um, and, you know, if you've been a Vicarage Road in, in recent years, it's a fantastic setup. They've really done a lot of work to the stadium. There's a, In the tunnel, there's a big sort of... Um, it's like the the sign at Newcastle where it's how are the lads but at Watford they've got a, a big sign that just says our time is now and it's the vision the blueprint of the club is to go out and really mm. have a go and that's exactly what they're doing you yeah. know they, if things aren't working with the manager they'll get rid of the manager yeah. if certain players it's not working out for they'll replace them quickly they've just got a constant flow of players coming through they've got all the, the, the leagues like Serie in La Liga yeah, Pozzo, po- the Pozzo families isn't it they're absolutely incredible they love this, this, getting the scouts out there and getting deals done they're proactive um, they're the complete opposite of what Newcastle are to be yeah. totally honest you know that. I mean that statement our time is now is a, it's a huge statement because mm. it's in right with no fear we're going to have a go at Newcastle it's like well we might do this in two or three years or I mean, I was in the room when Daryl Ambaya said, in five years, we'll be challenging for everything. Yeah. Well, that yeah. was 2009. Yeah. <laughs> it's incredible, isn't it? So. They did, they did also say they were going to be the next Aston Villa as well, which, uh, you know. We knew it. Well, we, we managed to <laughs> emulate actually, that one. Might actually yeah. happen. Yeah, with Watford, I mean, I think Watford, I think we both said it earlier in the office, which I think is, is absolutely spot on. How much... I mean, you you said Glenn Murray would be the ideal signing yeah. for Rafa Benitez to get at, at the moment. If the yeah, I'll just elaborate on what you yeah, because I was going to say Troy Deeney for me. Yeah. at the moment they need a big nasty sort of yeah. guy who's just going to get in there. Well, yeah, what what I said about Glenn Murray was, you know, if if say you could have a you know one transfer now, and you know, obviously we're imagining it here. Yeah. If the window could open for one day and you could sign one player, Glenn Murray would be the ideal player for Newcastle because. Yeah. As you say, he puts his head where it hurts. He's got goals in him. Um, I mean, he's a 35-year-old veteran, yeah. you know, journeyman striker, but he'd be somebody like him is exactly what Newcastle need. They need someone to convert one of the, the opportunities they make. You know, against Brighton, he must have, you know, 27 shots at goal, oh, no, 41 crosses. You're telling me you wouldn't have got in on the end of one of them. Yeah, you know what I mean. It says something, doesn't it? How how far Newcastle United's set, sense of set when we're thinking Newcastle could sign any player, and we, we've we've lowered our sights to the point where we're saying that realistically, they, this is the kind of player that they could get. But they need players who can fight as well. Yeah, that, they do. that's the other they thing. Do. It's it's no good. You know, we mentioned Torvin there, um, on fire in in France, mm. scoring goals left, right, and centre. Um, valued at ninety million or something now. Yeah. How Newcastle let that slip through the fingers? Who knows? But he's not the sort of player you'd want in a relegation battle at the minute. You need someone who's going to go in and, and bang a few heads together, and uh, hopefully um, they can find that that player in January. But remember what January is all about. Clubs can see you coming in January. They know how desperate you are. They've only got to look at the league table. And they know how much money you've got, and you know Newcastle. I'll have a, a big five weeks to, to get things right. It's going to have to be like 2016, January 2016, where <coughs> they did, to be fair, go out and 
tried to change things, but it, it, I mean, it was too it's late too, then. Too late, yeah. Um, it was too late then, and, and, and the worry will be that if Newcastle are in a similar situation, it might be too late again. But, um, so Friday night brought, uh, you were at the end of 23s, but Friday night also brought uh, an uh, announcement from the Magpie group um, who've you know, been very, very visible and uh, done some really smart things actually since, they're, since they've, they've been brought out. But th- this was, I think it's fair to say, a sort of ramping up of where that group is, is going to go from here. And they, um, the, I think the most eye-catching thing that they mentioned was the boycott of the Wolves game. I know you guys touched on it last week. I wasn't here uh, and touched on it la- a bit last week. And I think, you know, our our attitude has to be, we, we can't tell fans what to do and we wouldn't dream of telling fans what to do. But by the same token this boycott of the Wolves game is probably going to be one of the big issues that people are going to talk about going into that game. Um, what did you make of the idea of a boycott? What did you make of the idea of sort of fan action moving forward? Um, are you? Did you think that those plans were something that's going to help the team or, or the club as a whole? Well, they have to make themselves heard um, and, and they're doing that and they're doing it in, a, in an organised manner. And from our point of view... It's a case of, you know, reporting on what they do do. Yeah. And that's exactly what we have done. Um, and we've reflected what's been going on there. I mean, you've live blogged both of the meetings mm. so far. I've written a few articles. Yeah, it was on the back page, wasn't it? One of them was on the back page. We got some great pictures sent from one of their contributors, which we used on our website and we used in the paper. So it's a... It's an op- they're pushing on an open door. Yeah. If if they if they want coverage, um, we we can only cover what actually happens. Mm. So it's like the protest march in back in twenty thirteen. Twenty thirteen, yeah. Um, infamous, infamous, which <laughs> infamous. which resulted in a in a ban. Um, I mean, you'll be all, one of the many one of the continual questions that's been asked um, is, is you're frightened of being banned yeah. but you know you're probably in a better position to, yeah. to answer that one than me as well, football editor yeah I think I think what I find when I when I see some of the questions and we've always been quite I think one of the things that I've always tried to say is we've always been quite open about why we do things here and why certain things don't go on the front page or certain things do go on the front page and um, the that, that was a great example I think of where the club took issue with that because they felt that on the front page, on the day of the march, we were encouraging people to march because the front page headline was um, March if you want Ashley out. Now, I think the person who wrote the front page was like saying it wasn't an encouragement to go out and march. It was just a reflection of this is what the, the protesters are saying. But the club turned around and said, you are encouraging people to go out and march. And then what happened, and I think this was what I think ended up creating a big stir by the way we knew nothing about this we were we were at the game I think uh, I can't remember what the match was but we were at the game and we didn't even realize any of this had happened until we knew we were we heard we were banned on Wednesday but but basically then what happened was nobody went on the march it was a very very sparsely attended march it was I think it was less than 100 people went on this march um, the organizers you know said were, were exasperated by the fact that they didn't feel there was much interest in in this idea as well and what effectively ended up happening there was that the club turned around and said you've you've supported this this proves that what you're doing is rebel rabble rousing where there's no appetite to to protest so you know when people tell us put this on the front page put this on the back page our attitude is that actually you've got to be measured in what's actually going on because if we and i and i think we've learned over the last three or four years as well that social what's said on social media sometimes does not reflect the reality 
And that doesn't mean to say that what, what's been said on social media, we ignore. In fact, we do the opposite. We pay a lot of attention to it. But it means that we have to be careful when people tell us on social media that 20,000 people are not going to go to this match. It's very, very difficult to judge. And I'm sure the people at the Magpie Group agree as well. It's going to be very difficult to judge what what kind of boycott there's going to be until we actually get to the match and we see the stands. And I think that is the issue. I think that anybody covering it and anybody making predictions about what happens at the Wolves game is, is going to face. And <coughs> for us, I think it's not a question of, you know, not wanting to support fan action because fans are our readers. You know, we have a, we have a massive loyalty to those people. We have, you know, we, we cover the Magpie group because they're Newcastle United supporters. They are normal you know, quite some of them, some of the guys I know, very intelligent, smart guys who, if it was up to them, they just want to go to the match, get their pint, get their hot dog, whatever, and watch the match. That's all they, that's all they want to do. They don't, they, they don't want to be in the situation that they're in, but they find themselves in that situation because of all the things we've talked about already. So for us, it's a, it's a difficult one. It's a difficult one to sort of, to, is the boycott going to be successful? We, none of us know at the moment. So what we'll do is we'll provide a platform to them We'll provide a platform to the club if they want to come back and say, this is our attitude to the boycott. This is why you shouldn't boycott. We'll give them the platform as well because hopefully they'll be able to come up with something. And then it's up to us as individuals to sort of write around what our opinions are. But if that sounds like I'm maybe flanneling the issue, I'm not. My point is that it's not, ironically, it's not black and white. It's not black and white. I remember coming, when we got banned, Newcastle beat Chelsea the day that we got banned. And I remember in the week, the social media frenzy, frenzy had been that you guys, you know, you're our heroes, go and tell it like it is. And then I remember coming out of the game, walking across the town more behind two sort of middle-aged guys who were both saying, well, actually, you know, I think Mike Ashley was right to ban them. You know, they are, they are just negative. And I just sat there and I thought, that's a lesson for me. You know, that is a lesson for me to not pay as much attention to kind of, what is being said and actually the reality of the situation sometimes is very different. I think what will change it this time for me is that the level of anger and apathy as well is very, very big. It's We saw there was a big boycott in uh, 2015 when the team wasn't in a relegation fight and it did. I think that that was significant and it did make a difference. This time there was a relegation fight. I think Rafa will appeal to people not to do it. He already sort of had a little nibble at that, didn't he, on Saturday? I think Rafa will... will I'll give you a little inside track on that as well. Um, That that question was asked in the press conference. um, And then obviously, I mean, I I wasn't party to the... I wasn't involved in the the conversation, Mm. but um, there was obviously a lot of national uh, writers there in that room. And uh, basically, you can obviously hear the conversation, oh, what are we going to do? What are we going to write? And that was the the, the line that they picked. They said, oh, Mm. Rafa on the boycott was a good line. And then, obviously, you, you've seen that appear in, uh, it's in the Daily in, Mail, wasn't in, it? in the, some of the um, some of the papers of the weekend. So, yeah. Rafa won't want a boycott. Mm. I know, I know that for a fact because he won everyone behind the team. Mm. Um, so, but it's, it's like it's know, difficult. You, isn't you it? can't tell people what to do. No, no, and it's really difficult because I think that as much as Rafa doesn't want the boycott, a lot of the fans that when I've put that to them have quite rightly said, "Well, this is bigger than the manager," and they've said. It, you know, look, he hasn't committed yet, and we look at it as we're fighting for the future of this football club. And you know, with apologies to Rafa, we have to do what we have to do. And I, you know, I'm not going to turn around and say that anybody's wrong in that situation. But I, I do think that Rafa will will make appeals to people to say, look, do it when you know, do 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 your action, but get behind the team. That's what he'll say. Well, I'll ask you a question. See, 
twenty thousand people don't turn up at that game and the the crowd dips. Um the the question is, is will Mike actually care? Yeah. That's the worry, isn't it? That's that's the if worry. If he doesn't care and he just goes, Yeah, right, don't don't come then. I've got your season ticket money. You know what I mean? It's it's such a complicated situation. Yeah. Yeah. Um I think it would be effective mm. if people are watching on telly and there's no one there. Yeah. Because it will become a bit the bigger talking point. Yeah. But how many people will go along with that? Yeah. And it's what happened in Serie A, isn't it? I think it was it was it AC Milan where they did it? Yeah, when it was something like football's nothing without the yeah. fans, which is completely true. Yeah. Um but everyone's gotta everyone's gotta sign up to the same everyone's gotta agree to exactly the same thing if it's gonna happen. It's so difficult. It hasn't happened for a long time. It's so difficult. And I think the I think actually what the wider problem for Mike Ashley will be if people, not necessarily people stop going, not necessarily that people stop going um, for one game. It's if they get relegated and next year there's 40,000 people there. And then the year after that, there's 38 and then 35 and 33. And you're like, where's this going? We've seen it happen at Sunderland down the road. Yeah. They're maybe on their way back now, but they've had to go down to League One. Newcastle have never been down to League One in their entire history. I, I think, I, I just don't agree with the idea that or if we get relegated two divisions and then Mike Ashley sells up, nah, you might never come back. Yeah, we've seen we've seen how things change in the Premier League. Leeds have been out of the Premier League for ten years now, they've, and they've had a hell of a battle to get back. It, it's it's unfortunately I, I, this is why I kind of would never write off what the what the Magpie Group are doing because they they are fighting for a club that is more important to them than it is to Mike Ashley or to Rafa Benitez even. And I love you know I think Rafa gets it. But, you know, these are the people who it's in their lifeblood. It's passed down through generations. Who am I to tell them that they're wrong? You know, they, they, they know they know better. They know the football club better than I do. And that's kind of, that's that's where I take it. So I think I'll wrap up finally. Um, just a, a quick one. What, what can we kind of expect from this week? Because at the moment it feels very, very flat. Is there anything that, that you know, Newcastle can, could do, would, that they should do to kind of change the agenda a little bit, change the mood a little bit? Well, I think... When the atmosphere's got to be as good as it can be at the weekend, it's hard yeah. to ask people to to be totally enthusiastic. But I mean, this thing, you, you you look at the stadium now, and it's it's like pff, half an hour before the kickoff, the music's absolutely yeah. blasting through the the tunnel. You can't hear yourself think. Mm. Fans can't even you know talk amongst themselves. Never mind get chants that are going to be heard because you just be you just be wasting your time. Mm. But uh, for me, I think they should. Turn the music off, mm. whether it's half an hour before the kickoff, whether it's fifteen minutes before the kickoff, but just give people the opportunity to build the atmosphere. I think the guys up at the top of the yeah, Wolf the Gallagher, that's... and um, you can hear them from mm. the press. But when when they get going, you can hear them. Let, let them have. You know, you, I went over at Dortmund. You've been over at Dortmund. Yeah. The, you know the the yellow wall there. It's it, it's unbelievable. Like you'd love Newcastle to 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 try and recreate something like that, you know. Um, you know, obviously I was a supporter, still am a supporter, uh, but I was actually watching from behind the goals um, when during the Keegan era and that, the atmosphere was just mm. unbelievable. But it's a product on the pitch. You've got something to cheer, you've got something to enjoy, you've got something to be proud about. Uh, and that's, that's what really sparks, you know, atmospheres off. It's, it's what you what you do and what you what you say off the field you know mm. Keegan had that same way he said sky's the limit there's no there should be no limit to how far this football club can go mm. at the minute 
it's got restrictions and, you know, say, like, oh, well, if we finish mid-table, that, that's a good achievement. Or if we stay up, that's a good achievement. No, aim high, mm. you know, have, have, a, have a go, buy some players, get some people that are going to, you know, and the, when the window's open, get the city excited, you mm. know, there's a buzz around the place when a new player comes in. But at the minute, it's just it's just completely flat. And yeah. it's... Uh, it's so flat. It's operating with a, a, a business logic mm. and a very small business mind. Mm. And, you know, this is a club that's been in the Champions League. Um, yeah. I'm not saying that... Well, this is what I said on TalkSport the other day. I said, these fans aren't kicking off because they're not in the Champions League or, or winning trophies. They're kicking off because there's no ambition at mm. all. Uh, and now, I think... Honestly, I think if, if Mike Ashley come out and said... Um, I know I'm probably not going to get into the Champions League. Europe might be a push, but you know, let's let's try and be the best of the rest. And I'm going to put, you know, there's a hundred million, Rafa, go and spend it. Mm. I don't, I don't, I don't think that's asking too much. Yeah, I think I think what be what be really interesting would be to see, and this is what I've always worried or I've started just to see what what a Rafa Benitez team builds. Let him build the team. Let him give him the money, give him the money that they should have given him this this summer, and say right. It's up to you now, because what he said to us, this was kind of, I think, at the start of the summer, before we knew what was going to happen. But he said, look, my attitude is, I'm saying to them, give me the money that, that, that we have available. If I make the mistakes, I will I will pay. I will say, look, it's my fault. I, I, you know, I won't, it, it's, I will walk away with my hands up. If you want to sack me, you know, I'll walk away without, without, you know, with, with, with where I'm not, I, he will not turn around and say, it's the club's fault if you give me, what I think I've earned through keeping the club up, and that was that was basically what he said. And it might be that Rondon at twenty eight is it looks like a terrible prospect economically. But I tell you what, if they'd got him in earlier in the summer, he might not have had the fitness problems that he's got now. And it might have been that Rafa had been able to work with him over the over the course of the summer. And I think that's what I think it frustrates you more than anything. Mm-hmm. They got they got promoted, and then they and they had a chance to build on some massive momentum. In the last season, everybody walked away from that Chelsea game thinking we're we're onto something here. We're onto something, and it just drained out from the from virtually from the moment Mike Ashley put that statement out where he said every penny generated because everybody knew at that point this is going to be this is going to be tough because why is he putting that statement out? We've got to hope that Mike Ashley coming back is a sign of something good, but Mike Ashley being around hasn't generally been a good thing for Newcastle United down the years. So I totally agree with your point about trying to build the atmosphere. They had that with Gallagate flags as it was then, which has gone to war flags now. And people were getting back into the football club. It was so well, Here's another way of, of, of generating the atmosphere. Give Rafa the contract he wants. Yeah, well, exactly. Announce it on Friday night. Yeah. Rafa's going to stay now. Let's go out and beat Watford. Yeah. And I bet you it would make a, a big difference yeah. to the atmosphere. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, it's crazy. You know, the, the Keegan book recently... Yeah. You know, Keegan, by his own admission in the book, says he came over, he said he hadn't heard of any of the players. Mm. This is in the days building up to his first game against Bristol City. He'd never heard of any of the players apart from Mick Quinn, who he'd spoke to at the races, but he'd never seen him play. And he just went in the dressing room and tried to rally the troops. And on the back of that and the atmosphere, I mean, Keegan coming back was a massive thing. And on the back of that atmosphere, they went out and beat Bristol City 3-0. So football, it's a strange thing. Mm. And it only takes one little thing to, to spark another thing off. So, it would be it would be good to think that, that there's some positivity somewhere down the line. Cause it's, it's felt so. They just got to do something. Don't sit there They've and do, do nothing. Haven't they? That's exactly you're spot on. On or off the pitch, 
somebody's got to do something because at the moment it's just sliding towards the championship. If somebody doesn't do something, something to get people talking in a positive way, yep. the season's going to be lost. And yep. it'll be four years of building under Rafa or three years of building under Rafa is going to be lost. And that is the biggest tragedy, I think, of, of, of Rafa. But let's hope so. Let's keep our fingers crossed that we returning on Friday and talking about a more positive atmosphere and uh, going down there on Saturday. Lee, thank you very much. Um, as I said, keep it on Chronicle Live this week. Um, we will hopefully have some positive news to report and uh, yeah, we'll be bringing you all the build-up and coverage of the Watford game this weekend.